welcome to Life Lessons in 35mm, a podcast that delves into the life lessons from the silver screen. School might have taught us about history, sciences and maths, but John McLean taught us about how to be cool. Neo taught us the value of free will and the responsibility in making our own choices. Back to the Future taught us our future hasn't been written yet. Our future is whatever we make it. And Pretty Woman taught us that you should never judge a book by its cover. We'll talk about all sorts. Love, family, heroes. Storytelling, friendship, dogs. <laughs> Wait, dogs? Yeah, yeah. There's an episode about dogs. I figured that people sometimes might want something a little more light-hearted. And besides, who doesn't love dogs, right? No, that's fair. So, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for joining us. So welcome once again to Life Lessons in 35mm. This is, I believe, episode 7, I think. And as always, here with Andrew Hewitson. Hi, Nick. Good morning. Um, um, good evening. Good morning. Um, I- I'm from the future. Same difference. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's you are. You are you're, you're generally eight hours into my future, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. It's a bit freaky. Um, how's, how's the summer over in the UK? Because obviously, like, you guys are kind of going back to normal after this whole, like, COVID thing, aren't you? This is correct. I don't know. Yeah, we're, yeah. Well, it, more or less, more or less. So, I yesterday uh, was the was the first game of the Premier League season, and I believe they had like a full stadium of fans, which what? is weird because I I didn't even think they were going to go back to that. So, yeah, it seems like everything's open as normal. People are doing stuff that they haven't been able to do for a while. I think more or less most people are still wearing masks and things in like shops, but it does feel like it's getting back to normal now. So that's good. It's a funny old thing, isn't it? The whole COVID thing, because obviously before we we would just kind of do, we would um, be action. But now like when whenever there's like a football game like that, I, I do have in the back of my mind, like how many like deaths that would occur. You, you, do, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. In the same sense, like, before I wouldn't think about influenza, but people die from that, don't they? Um, yeah, yeah. Like you know, our actions and um, our commingling and and stuff do, do kind of have ramifications on other people. Not to get too deep, and <laughs> glad, glad to get. No, but it is weird, isn't it? Glad to enjoy your summer, anyway. Though, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it is strange because obviously, you know, we have been we have completely changed the way that we live for the last eighteen months, and it kind of seems normal now. It does it does seem weird, like. Um, so over the last couple of weeks, I've kind of been into, I, I went up to Bath, the city Bath for, for like a, just a day to have a little wander around and I've been kind of out and about a little bit more. And it's kind of, it still seems a bit weird mm. to see like people around because obviously, you know, where I live, we spend a lot of our time out walking in quite like remote areas, so by the coast or in the, like the moors and stuff like that. So you tend not to see loads of people anyway, but going, um, you know, walking into little towns and villages and stuff or where there's where there's more a bit more going on it still kind of feels a little bit weird to see so many people just kind of buzzing around and it's, I mean it's nice in a sense but it does it still feels a little bit strange that we've kind of got back here but you know I guess at some point they had to let things go back to normal and see how they go I mean I don't know how else how else things have been dealt with but it, it's, it still doesn't feel quite normal yet it still feels a little bit strange yeah I mean for us we've just been living life as normal Kind of throughout, we've had uh, the odd lockdown, obviously. Um, the big change for us was when we opened up the um, to, to the Aussies, so letting the um, Australians come over. Um, 
Right. And I remember the first time I met an Aussie, it was like going up on one of the, the, the ski lifts. And I was like, oh, so, because I normally ask like where someone's from. Um, and I'll say like Auckland or Christchurch. And, and they said Australia. And I was like, like so shocked at it. I didn't know what to say to them. Like it took me like 30 um, seconds to like really kind of think of a good question. I don't think it was a good question as well. I was just like, how's how's life in Australia? <laughs> but you, do you know, I just, I, mean? I just was... imagine you like, I just imagine you like freak out, just push him off the ski lift. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't want to get COVID. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of weird. I guess I guess the world is, but the world is kind of going back to normal in some places. But then some places it's obviously getting really bad, isn't it? Because I think you know. There's certain countries that have now gone on the red list and stuff, but it, yeah, it's kind of a bit weird. It, it, it hasn't really disrupted the summer as such because it's kind of been normal for a year now. <laughs> because so it, because it, the UK doesn't have a summer. <laughs> that well, that's a fair point. Um, <laughs> we have like three or four hot days, but in terms of like you know having a bit of time off work and you know doing this and the other, it's um it's a bit weird. So obviously, because I'm going up to uh, this week, come in. Uh, me and Becca taking a little holiday to Scotland for a couple of weeks, awesome. so that'll be interesting because obviously we're staying, well, we're staying places that are a bit more remote. We're staying up in the Highlands, so I don't imagine we're going to see loads of people anyway. But it's uh, it'll be interesting to see on the journey up, you know, what you know how how busy places are because we're going to stop off a couple of places on the way, um, just to see how that's you know to, to break up the journey. So it'll be interesting to see how how busy life is generally. It's going to be kind of weird because we haven't really left the county for ages. I wonder if you'll see um, William Wallace. Um, and that's a little segue into our film today. Good hey. Will, William, good Will, good Will Hunting. It yeah, yeah. Works. It's a very, diff- very different William, though. Very different William. Oh, okay. William Wallace, I believe, you know, ended with a, his head on a spike, his, his legs and arms in different places. Fortunately, that doesn't happen to good old Will Hunting. So, uh, you know, spoiler alert and um, just a, a heads up because we don't do this enough, do we? Um, if you haven't um, watched Goodwill Hunting, there will be some spoilers in here. So um, go and watch it. Yeah, you dirty dog. Indeed, you should. We should be watching these films anyway, because uh, we try to do we try to do good films on this podcast. And hopefully most people have, have already seen them. But yeah, so that's a, a very good but slightly awkward segue into into goodwill hunting so yeah as um as andrew very eloquently put it we are discussing goodwill hunting today um and we are talking about how it reminds us of the value in surrounding yourself with good people or the right people yeah yeah it's going to be an interesting conversation so and which 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 year was this nick so this is 1997 um directed by gus van sant written by the two stars Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and I believe they also won um the Academy Award for best original screenplay um which is which is amazing given how given how young they were this was their first kind of major picture so yeah it's uh oh and obviously it got a Academy Award uh, also for best supporting actor for Robin Williams the late great Robin Williams who is absolutely sensational in this film he's awesome isn't he um it's an interesting film isn't it like the way it was the way it kind of came about I did a bit of reading into this and don't quote me on all all of this, but obviously it was written by Affleck and Matt Damon when they were staying together in a little flat. They they sold it to Castle Rock, I believe. And um, after there was a bidding war between the, 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 the different studios 
and it just kind of sat with Castle Rock for a really long time. And um, the original film, I don't know if you know it, but it it was it was about a maths genius and his buddy outsmarting the government. So it kind of goes into a bit more of like a CIA kind of spy route. Um, and yeah, eventually it was um, all that was was cut. The the um, I think they sold the rights to a different studio. Eventually, it was it was kind of boiled down to this more of a a film about this genius and him discussing his problems with his with his therapist, which is um, what the film is now. And I think that's I think that's definitely the right way to approach it because I think what makes this so unique as a film is the fact that you've got this very unusual young character and it's so interesting to see him go through that sort of like journey of self-discovery if you like um as he kind of of becomes an adult because I think at the the start of the film he's he's 20 years old and obviously during the film he turns 21 so you know kind of in the eyes of the the law whatever he kind of becomes a man legally and everything but it's so it's interesting I think it's a much more interesting story to tell of him just kind of discovering himself as he as he moves through life rather than being something like you you know said like they're on like a scheme to outsmart the government so I think it was it was um it's ended up definitely down the right going down the right path and I think um this is a really interesting film for me because I've obviously, it came out, you know, a long time ago now. And I do remember seeing it fairly early on when after it came out. And I've always really liked it. But I think it's one of those that I genuinely almost enjoy more every time I watch it. So I think I said to you the other day, I think it's probably not too much of an exaggeration to say this would probably be near, if not in my top 10 films of all time. There's just something about it that I really, really love. Um, probably largely related to Robin Williams in it because I think he is I think he's absolutely wonderful in this film and I and I I love his character but I just there's something about that I think is is really great and uh, I think Matt Damon's uh, obviously this is one of his earliest performances I think he's a great actor he's always good in pretty much everything he's in uh, but I think this is still probably arguably his best performance yeah he's really good in it and um it kind of amazes me that people can do this can can be multifaceted in in the sense of writing a script because i I think script writers really don't get the the respect that they're due because a a great script a great story can it it is the skeleton from which everything is is kind of built upon isn't it um and yeah he's amazing in this as well like in terms of his performance it's he he's got to be so many different characters in in this um in this film obviously from being very strong and um aggressively manly um to be to to um that scene towards the end where he, he breaks down with um, Robin Williams and you, and you've got to believe as well that a person like his character is able to make that transformation and it still feel right and um yeah, it feels in character all, all the way throughout. Um, just in, interestingly, apparently, so after um, Miramax bought the um, rights of the the film from Castle Rock, and um, they started to interview um, different directors. One of the directors that came up was Mel Gibson, um, Mr. William Wallace himself. So you see how that's just coming coming back again. Um, it's coming. It's cool coming back into the fray. <laughs> yeah. And and obviously, like Mel Gibson at the time, he was like really like um, smashing it, and people were really wanting the services. So um, they were talking to him, and and um, 
he wanted Damon, um, Matt Damon, to s- step aside. He didn't want him in in the film, um, and I think that would be a travesty because it's it's um, him and um, Ben Affleck and Casey Affleck, the dynamic that they have going on together that makes a really nice like side movie almost like a buddy movie because you, you've almost got like two worlds that and um, will kind of inhabits one of like academia one of um you know where he's hanging out with his girlfriend skylar and um is what's the teacher called i'm sorry gerald lambo and he's played by stellan skarsgård yeah thank you um and yeah, so you've got that world and then you've got the kind of world of um, working class Boston um, where, where he's um, originally from. And um, it's it's really kind of nice. He does he does work. It does work for him in those worlds, um, which is it's so difficult to do. It really is. And what's, what's an also an interesting point before we get into more of the film is obviously our last episode, we talked about um, Garden State. And it's interesting to have a film that I mean, obviously, Goodwill Hunting is much more known than Garden State. It did much better in terms of like box office and awards and stuff, and is it's kind of generally held up as a better film. But it's interesting how you have these two young guys who write this film, and then you know you've got studios competing for it, mm. and then Garden State. You had Zach Braff again, another young guy who had a reasonable profile because of his you know his television appearances and stuff, but he could not get it bought. You know, he couldn't get anyone to pick it up for love nor money. He had to have it financed by one guy. And it's just interesting that you've got these two kind of films written by young up and coming kind of talents and they had such a different experience in terms of getting the film picked up and made so it's just interesting that you you know we've got we've got two films in two episodes who were which have a similar kind of start starting point but, but had such a different journey in terms of the the production process you know watching Ben Affleck and Matt Damon um act together in those scenes it, it did did make me think about Two two other young filmmakers, um, one with dark hair, one with blonde hair. You know, are they just the American version of Nick and Andrew? That's what I was thinking <laughs> throughout the film. Yeah, I, that's what everyone thinks. That's yeah, what everyone yeah. thinks. <laughs> not not a chance. Not a chance. Um, no, I think it's really interesting because I think obviously all good actors in in films have good chemistry you know you have there's been loads of films about friendships about love etc where the where the leads have good chemistry but it's i think it's maybe it's just because we know that they're friends in real life Mm. but but chucky and will so ben affleck and matt damon's characters in this they do genuinely feel seem to have a have a deep like long running connection don't they and obviously you know they grew up both grew up in boston as friends i think ben affleck is a year older than matt damon or vice versa they're very close in age they kind of went to the same high school together they grew up around the same sort of areas and i think that comes across really well in the film like you do genuinely feel like they are brothers almost um so i think that that's even maybe just the fact that we know that uh, about the about the two, about the two real men it almost comes across in the film but i think even if you didn't know that i think the the chemistry they have as friends on screen is really special. And I think it it adds so much to the film. Yeah, it's a natural pairing. And I have to say a shout out to the star of the movie, in my view, which was Casey Affleck. Um, he doesn't get that many lines, but I just remember so many of his lines, um, little things that he says. Um, a young my boy's Casey wicked Affleck. smart. Yeah, exactly. He's really got that that Boston um, twang. Um um, and I guess like that's another um, thing as well. Like 
the location. It's great at being in in Boston because like these these guys they feel really grizzled and um, you know real real men, um, and w- which again um, works as a as a, a nice kind of contrast to the the academia of um, the college that will is ultimately found to be doing all this like mathematics at yeah it's interesting i think boston's a really obviously it's really important to them because that's where they grew they grew up and i i think you can tell how important it is to those guys because i i don't know if you've seen um the two films that ben affleck directed two of his films he's directed uh gone baby gone and the town both of which i think are excellent films particularly gone baby gone and Casey Affleck is the main star of that, and obviously Ben Affleck himself stars in the town. But he, yeah, uh, he he kind of directed both of those films, both set in Boston, both very much sort of Boston stories. And I think you can tell that's a really special place to him, and you can tell he really has a good handle on, like, you know, or it certainly comes across as having a really good handle on what that place means to the people of that of that city and of those towns and stuff. So yeah, I think it's a really um, Plus, I, I like the Boston accent. It's quite cool to listen to. Um, so, yeah, I think Casey Affleck is awesome in this film. I think the relationship they have as young men growing up in South Boston is is great. And I really, I really kind of, I really, I have to say, it's not something I can understand much, but I really, I really connect to it in some way. It's it's awesome. No, I thought it was very similar to our life um, growing up together. <laughs> <isn't it>? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, like I was saying about the chemistry between um, between between Chucky and Will. And the fact that it comes across so clearly on screen, there's that scene where um, when I think Sean and and, Je- and Jerry are talking about Will uh, and, and his friends, because I think, you know, all the way through the film, Jared Lambeau wants to kind of get him out of that life and out away from those people. But Sean un- fully understands it because I think he's his character's from South Boston as well. And he says, yeah, but the reason he loves those guys is because if, if he asked any one of them, they'd take a bat to your head. And that <laughs> loyalty and that kind of that friendship is so clear throughout the film. And I think that's a really nice part of, um, nice part of the story. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, it's a really good casting, really good group of young guys that play that play those roles. And I think you're right. I think all of them have a really important role to play. And without that dynamic, it wouldn't be the same. I was going to say, kind of getting into the, I suppose the lesson a little bit more in the discussion about where, what we take from this film, I suppose it's just um, to go into Will's character a little bit more and how, uh, I suppose, how the lesson really jumps out to me is I think um, Will, obviously he's a really interesting character um, in the sense that he's a young man. So I think, you know, young men, he can, can hopefully can relate to him. Um, and he's this kind of young man, this kid who's had a really chaotic and difficult, and I think we learn abusive upbringing. He's, you know, he's been bounced around foster homes, that kind of stuff. He's been in and out of the system, but he's also a genius um, and not a genius in the casual sense of the word that it's often thrown around, you know, someone's really clever, so oh, they're a genius. No, he's a genuine genius who can do things that maybe a handful of people in the world can do. Uh, so he's a really interesting kid. And I think those two things, um, those two sides of him would traditionally be very, Would you'd find them in different people. You often wouldn't see this a person with that kind of upbringing who has that kind of gift so i think that in itself is makes it makes him a really interesting character to start with and i think because of that he has very difficult choices to make throughout the film that will determine the rest of his life and the people around him um, and despite the fact that he is a genius making those choices is incredibly difficult and i think there's probably lots of ways in which other young people, normal young people from all around the world can relate to that in terms of the choices they have to make as they're growing up. Um, 
so you know he has this he has this journey where he's kind of almost got to decide which path he's going to take you know does he continue to kind of get into trouble with the police spend all his time with his friends um kind of that he's grown up with does he um and does he does does that maybe come at the expense of, his, of never making the most of this gift he's got? Does he follow that gift and try and break into the world of academia or get a high powered job? You know, in a world that he's very unfamiliar with, that he doesn't trust. Or as you mentioned, when he meets this girl Skylar, who he kind of describes as perfect when they first meet, does he leave everything he's ever known to to kind of go with her? So he's got these three very different choices, and I think for any young person that would be a, a very difficult choice to make. And particularly for Will, because he's got this, this really traumatic background that he's grown up with, but he's also got this incredible gift. How, you know, how in how in the world would anyone be able to make those decisions and, and get it right? And I think that's where this element of support and this support network of these amazing people around him that he has, that's where they become so important. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of where that came from for me. Because I think it's kind of relatable to have to be in a position as a young person where you kind of don't really know what what your best choice is or what the best decision would be for you. There's that old, old thing of like you are the the average of your like seven closest friends or something like that, which I think is really interesting because obviously Will and his environment when we first see him, he's surrounded by you know his three closest friends who are all obviously from Southie. Um, Maybe he's um, got some other um, f- friends in the mix, but we don't see them, certainly. But like these are, are clearly curated people in his life. There's this really difficult dynamic, I think, for him, or certainly a choice um, that he, he needs to make about his future. So obviously, as you touched upon it there, he is a genius. What does he do with his genius? Um, he he talks about it at, at, at one point when he's um, speaking to the teacher Jerry, and he's like, he's having an argument with him, and he's he's saying to him like, you don't realize how easy this shit is. Um, talking about um some of the mathematics he was he's been working on with him. Um, he's as you say, it's he's not just an average genius. He is the genius of all geniuses. There's that scene with um jerry and sean in the bar isn't there where they're talking about geniuses and um referencing einstein obviously einstein was working at a, a patent office or or mail office um, before he was um he, he wrote i think he actually wrote um the theory of relativity while, whilst he was actually working working there so jerry jerry is referencing obviously um einstein as being kind of his hero as as to like the reason why um, Will should be kind of shepherded away from his friends and um, into a positive and um, what, what, what he sees as his future. Um, and they're having this argument and then Sean re- references Ted Karunsky, Karunsky? Um, the, anyway, he, he's a Unabomber, suggesting that regardless of, of intellect or genius, um, you know, people have problems so it's it's clear that Sean obviously understands that um, these people in his life are, are kind of like a psychological crutch to Will. Whereas Jerry, he's just focused on the success and the potential genius that would be lost. And in a way, it's kind of um, Sean's job to tie the two together. Sean himself um, was very gifted 
psychologist um, as his time, but he also can feel and he knows the the problems that that Will's facing. Yeah, and I think you know he talks in in the film, doesn't he, about Will's fear of abandonment because you know having bounced around foster homes when he was younger, um, you know, being abused by one of his foster fathers, and he has this um, this fear of abandonment, and that comes out again when he's talking to Sean about Skylar when they first meet. He talks about the fact that um, this girl is perfect right now and maybe, don't, maybe I don't want to ruin that. And then Sean comes back to him. And maybe we'll just play that scene now, actually, because I think it's a really interesting little, little back and forth between the two of them. Yeah, but this girl's like, you know, beautiful. She's smart. She's fun. It's different from most of the girls I've been with. So call her up, Romeo. Why? So I can realize she's not that smart, that she's fucking boring. You know, I mean, you don't, this girl's like fucking perfect right now. I don't want to ruin that. Maybe you're perfect right now. Maybe you don't want to ruin that. But I think that's a super philosophy, Will. That way you can go through your entire life without ever having to really know anybody. My wife used to fart when she was nervous. She had all sorts of wonderful little idiosyncrasies. <laughs> you know, she used to fart in her sleep. <laughs> I'm sorry I shared that with you. <laughs> One night it was so loud it woke the dog up. <laughs> yeah so obviously in that scene sean then refers to the fact that will um is the one who is almost have you know who's who's afraid someone's going to leave him because he because he he realizes they realize he's not perfect and that's really important when it comes to his friendship group because sean understands that sean understands that these guys that he's grown up with his friends his brothers they are never going to leave him they're, they're, they'll always be there for him. That's his. That's the only people in the world that he's ever been able to trust. And Jerry just doesn't understand the importance of that to Will and how how much they give him and how how you know how secure they make him feel. Um, and I think that's a really that's a really important thing for anyone. I think as we when we grow up as kids, you know, from when you start primary school into your teenagers and a bit older. I think it's really important that everyone has those core friendship groups of people that you rely on and you trust and have always been there for you. Um, so I think it's, yeah, despite the fact that maybe Will can go, you know, further than his friends have ever gone before because of his gift, he almost doesn't want to because those are the people who are most important in his life and make him feel make him feel safe and secure. And he doesn't really care that they're not as clever as he is. All they all you know they mean everything to him. That's his family. That's his. Those are the people he trusts most in the world. And I think it's really, it's great that you have this relationship with Sean, who's a character who who kind of really understands that, and that's and that allows him to kind of build trust with Will himself. That that is just not there with that professor, despite professor having, you know, having broadly good intentions for him because he wants him to make the most of his gift. Yeah, I, th- I think um, one of the th- the key things with this friendship group is is the consistency. Um. I was reading into the the scenes, um, therapist scenes with Sean, and um, one of the things someone was saying about it was the fact that um, as a therapist, you try to create consistency throughout the process. So in terms of geography, in terms of um, time, and in terms of of a person, because you you want to and um, the person needs to know that there's a going to be that same person showing up at the same time um focusing on them listening to them it's the same with his friendship group he you know he knows that they're always going to be there um you know professor um lambert did you say lambo um lambo 
we'll get there towards the end of the episode i'll be all over it um as you say as good as his intentions are there is the the feeling that he won't be in his life long term so why would will do his bidding or do do anything for him why would he trust him and and there's that consistency element as well throughout the therapists it's like um you know first of all will is trying to get kicked out of these empaths but he's also testing them to see if he shows his worst side will they consistently show up for him and and that's what we get with sean obviously that there's that first scene um in his office where um he's going around his office and he's he's trying to find sean's weakness so first of all he he starts attacking his books um he goes on this same thing of like, ah, oh, you, you, you've read all these books, like kind of suggesting that and because you've read all these books, you should know me. And it's, it's interesting in a way because um, Will always attacks people in the same way that he would maybe be attacked. An example of that is that scene with the ponytailed preppy student when he's trying to chat up Skylar in the bar. Actually, it's, it's, um, it's um, Chucky who's trying to chat chat him up and the preppy m student comes over and starts to get into an intellectual debate with chucky who obviously is no match for then will comes over and he just rips him one because he knows the game that the preppy student is playing he's um just playing the who's read the most books but he he is the one who reads a lot of books that's why he knows what he's doing so interestingly in reflected in in scene in the office where he starts pulling apart these books and all these books that sean's read and sean knows though sean knows that it's not important the books that he's read but the relationships that he's made the um, conversations the experience that he's gained over the years and i think that's one of the 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 scenes isn't it at the park bench where sean really starts to get will's confidence that he's not gonna um, run away and that he's actually going to listen to him and find nuance in what he is saying and not just um, you know, say, hey, you've got attachment problems and you are this, this and this. And I, th- I think actually that that scene on the park bench, I think we should play a little clip of it here. Not the whole thing because it's quite long, but I think that is such a great scene. Um, and I think you're right. That's the first time we see Will's um, defences start to be broken down. So we'll just play a little clip of that here because I think it's so, so good. I ask you about love. Probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable. Known someone that could level you with her eyes. Feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you. Who could rescue you from the depths of hell. And you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel. To have that love for her be there forever. Through anything through cancer and you would know about sleeping sitting up in a hospital room for two months holding her hand because the doctors could see in your eyes that the terms visiting hours don't apply to you you don't know about real loss because that only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much I look at you I don't see an intelligent, confident man. I see a cocky, scared, shitless kid. 
But you're a genius, Will. No one denies that. No one could possibly understand the depths of you. But you presume to know everything about me because you saw a painting of mine. You ripped my fucking life apart. You're an orphan, right? You think I'd know the first thing about how hard your life has been, how you feel, who you are, because I read Oliver Twist? Does that encapsulate you? Personally, I don't give a shit about all that, because you know what? I can't learn anything from you. I can't read in some fucking book. Unless you want to talk about you, who you are. And I'm fascinated. I'm in. But you don't want to do that, do you, sport? You're terrified of what you might say. Your move, Chief. So yeah, the, the park bench scene is really, really important to the whole film and, and I believe that park bench is actually a memorial to Robin Williams now. So you can actually go and, and, and find it and uh, I believe there's, there's flowers on it and tributes to Robin Williams, which is amazing. That park bench scene, it's it's incredible because like, you know, it's a bit of a monologue and, you know, monologues are, are very like pointed, like they're, they're taking you in a certain direction, but it's beautifully written. He gets his point across, but I feel, feel like he gets like kind of three points across. So one was life can only be truly appreciated in its fullest through the various shades and colors of its lived experience, which is an important lesson for Will because obviously he hasn't really experienced anything, right? He hides a little bit behind his books because like by, by doing so, you don't have to potentially get hurt or um, do things that you don't understand. Second thing is um, the essence of someone cannot be written on a napkin, surmised in a book's paragraph or even painted into a picture. So he, he kind of reminds us that Will is, is not this archetype. He, he, he is a person and he's actually going to listen to to Will and his story. And, and, and finally, um, that Sean wants to know his story. He communicates that he wants to know it he's, and he's going to be here to hear it if he wants to tell it so those those three things that he's able to do in in that monologue which kind of sets it's it's kind of like really the turning point of the film where um, will actually starts to open up and we we start to figure out that he's not just some genius because i think bef- beforehand i didn't i didn't particularly know where that you know the direction of the film was going we obviously meet this kid who's yes a genius but you know, he's fighting with police officers. Um, he's starting fights in, in the street. He's he's fighting everyone, really. And I think that's really good in a, in a sense because it comes from left, left of field that maybe Will would have some problems. Um, yeah, yeah, he's an orphan. Um, I think that, that can kind of be like seen in life, eh? Like, because you can have someone who, who is kind of having problems in life it might be like anger issues or they're not getting on with like co-workers or um, having issues in relationships and we we think oh well they're just like an asshole or, or something but um but it's not until we really start to talk to, to someone 
and give them you know our trust and um, give them our time where they're they're able to actually feel comfortable with you to to open up and you, you might realize there's there's other things at play other things that are in their past yeah and i think that's um that's really not it's really wonderfully captured in that in that scene because i think you know when sean says how can i possibly understand the depths of you just because you know you're an orphan or you've had these problems and obviously you know as a character as a young character will has basically had to fight his way through life you know he's had a tough upbringing he's a tough kid you know he's clearly um he's clearly been been through the ringer um and he kind of almost expects himself to just have to fight his way through the rest of his life but sean is able to like you say he's able to he's able to break start to break down those walls and show him i want to understand who you are and i'm not just here to tell you what you should do because i think that's the that's the important thing because obviously uh, professor lambo wants to take will under his wing in the sense that he wants to make the most of his genius and he wants to help him make the most of his gift because he genuinely believes he's capable of things that no one else in the world can do or just a handful of people in the world can do so he likes it he has good intentions but it's all about um focusing on what Will can do with his academic abilities. But what Sean's able to do is Sean is able to say, I want to help you get the most out of you in the sense that I want you to kind of be able to be yourself to, and obviously, you know, Sean understands a bit where he's coming from. He he come, he comes from the same kind of neighborhood as where Will grew up. I think he references in one of their therapy sessions that Sean's father was an alcoholic as well. So he has some sort of understanding of, the tough upbringing Will's had, but all the way through the film, uh, once Sean starts to develop his relationship with Will, he's always thinking about Will's best interests, not about what Will can do with his gift, but what Will actually wants as a person. That's a really important distinction, because like I said, Professor Lambeau clearly has good enough intentions, but Sean is able to get to the fact that it doesn't matter whether Will's a genius or whether he's not a genius. The fact is he's a human, he is a person, and he deserves to have the best version of his life that he wants. And that's why I think he's he kind of is this is this really nice combination of a father figure, because he's obviously more experienced, he's older, he's been through life, but he understands where Will's coming from, but also his friend, someone that he can begin to trust in the same way that he trusts not quite in the same way, but in, in a similar way to how he trusts the friends he's grown up with. And that's why I think he's a really well written character and he is really brought to life so brilliantly by Robin Williams. And I think, yeah, you're right, that, that scene on the park bench is almost the turning point of the film. And I think it's 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 one of the most impactful scenes, impactful monologues I can remember seeing in, in a film for a long, long time. It's 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 just it, I, I'm completely captivated by it. And also I think um if I think if I was Will, I'd be I'd 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 like completely trust Sean as well. <laughs> I think I think it's so I think it's so well put together, so well delivered, and it's such an affecting scene. So obviously, you've got the fact that um, Sean's from Southie, um, which is the connection there, and um, the obvious connection. And um, I think Will is initially quite defensive about this, of like, oh yeah, just because you're from Southie doesn't mean you know me. Um, but this this key thing, kind of um, moments in the film where they kind of connect over similar things. One of them is when he starts speaking about his girlfriend and there's a bit of a connection over like love and um, and women. I love that scene where Sean is talking about meeting his wife for the first time. 
when his friends turn to him, when he when he turns turns to him and says, "Hey, I'm not going to the the baseball game," because obviously they they connect over that. They're both big baseball fans, and um, Sean turns to his friends and says, oh, "I'm going to see see about a girl." And th- there's one thing I think like a lot of men can kind of connect over, and um, which is 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 girls, right? But t- towards the start, he is putting these these barriers up to to sean and to pretty much um everyone and that's part of the the problem with with will is you know he is this genius and he he can outthink people there's a little um quote by darren is it darren brown or darren brown the the illusionist the british illusionist i think it's darren darren brown eh? and he says we tend to dwell on our past and we somehow think that they define who we are, but the past are just stories that we tell ourselves in the present. And with, with Will, this is going slightly <laughs> left left to feel, but I guess it's all part of the the film, isn't it? It's it's a therapy angle. Is um Will's in a monologue is that people in power will beat, abuse, and make me vulnerable if I give them a chance. And this is what he obviously learns from his stepdad. There's there's also this um this thing in psychology which is um we make happen what we fear will happen which which is obviously like when when they're having that first meeting in the office um again will is kind of going on the attack with with all of the people who kind of meet him so he kind of creates these like self-fulfilling prophecies where you know the, the police that he hits hits him back and the judge um that he argues with sends him down even with Sean, there's there's that really tense scene where he's talking about his painting. It's it's incredibly acted by Matt Damon. The little subtleties in his performance, where he starts talking about the painting and he starts talking about his wife, and there's that little bit of recognition that he's got him now. He's got him, and he's gonna hit him. Um, you know, Sean's character is gonna hit him, and he's gonna win. And it's that mixed with fear. It's it's so subtle, but um, just the fact that Sean, after that whole session and everything, I think he's talking to with Jerry, and um, Jerry's like kind of apologizing or something, and he says, "No, I'll make sure that he's here next week." So yeah, whatever happens um, with the two, and and there is some quite spiky talk between the two two characters, but. Um, Sean's the constant he's always there for Will well that's that's where you go into this you know obviously the, the next therapy session is that's when um, Sean takes Will to the to the park and they have that and they have that conversation on the bench well say conversation when when Sean talks to Will and then you have that little game afterwards for the next few sessions where Will just refuses to talk and uh, and and Sean kind of understands this and when he's talking to Professor Lambo he says oh so is it, is it basically just a staring contest and Sean says, yeah, and I can't blink first. So he, he understands that Will has gone on the offensive and he's kind of got Sean to kind of fight back, but he's not then just kind of decided to walk away. He's kind of stayed there. So it's this game between the two of them where Will is kind of going to test Sean to see how invested he really is and how how much staying power he has because Will knows that he can kind of be resilient and be, you know, still go on the offensive in terms of like putting his walls up and kind of forcing people away. And, uh, and I think again, that, that little development of that is where you, where he starts to see that Sean isn't just like the other therapist. He's not just going to walk away because he thinks it's a waste of time. He's going to stay with it. He genuinely wants to get to know Will 
and he wants to help him. And I think that's a really good little progression between the two of them. And obviously then when Matt Damon finally breaks his silence, he breaks it with a joke. Um, so yeah, and I think it's a great little sort of like game between the two of them to test. So they're testing each other out to see what their staying power is. And like you said, Will is so used to being on the offensive and pushing people away and winning. And it's great that Sean stays the course, waits out, and then it kind of gets his reward because he eventually gets gets Will to talk, even if it's just a joke to begin with. But he gets him to he gets him to kind of open up up a little bit and, and say something. Yeah, and it's really nice to see that that changing relationship over time. Yeah, I was I was reading something a little um something into attachment theory, and you've got like three different types of insecure attachments. One one's an anxious or preoccupied attachment style one is avoidant and the other one is a disorganized also known as fearful avoidant attachment style and this is most probably what will suffers from tends to be um, adults with a disorganized incoherent approach towards their relationships On one hand they want to belong um, they want to be loved um, and, and to love whilst on the other hand they're afraid of letting anyone in they have a strong fear that the people who are closest to them will will ultimately hurt them, and these these adults are expect and are waiting for rejection and disappointment and hurt to come. Yeah, so in their perception, it's ultimately inevitable, and um, I think that's a nice maybe segue for Will's relationship with Skylar because this is the relationship that probably scares him the most. Yeah, so obviously the relationship with Skylar is is almost is is the really interesting one because ultimately that's the one he chooses to pursue at the end. You know, he he steals Sean's line and says, "I've got to go see about a girl," and he kind of rejects the job that he's been offered and decides to drive across to California to to find to to kind of find her and continue his relationship. But yeah, the early part of their relationship is really interesting because you know when, like you said earlier, it's Chucky that goes to chat her up at the bar. Will kind of interjects to protect to protect his friend, stick up for his friend, but doesn't actively pursue Skylar. It's her that comes to him at the end of that scene and gives gives Will her number. And you know he has that conversation with Sean about not calling her again. Um, there's the you know eventually then they do kind of start to see more of each other, but he's constantly kind of distancing himself from her in the sense that she never meets his friends, she never sees his place. He tells her all these kind of lies about he's got brothers and his upbringing and stuff like that to kind of almost put himself in a in a better light that she's she doesn't even need and and um yeah so you can tell that he's kind of he really likes her but he's also really scared because he doesn't want he doesn't want to see he doesn't want her to see what he perceives to be the true him which is a bad thing um but actually what's great about Skylar is that she doesn't care about that stuff um and obviously that kind of comes to a head when they're having that um really intimate scene in her dorm room but then she suggests that he goes to California with her and then all of a sudden it turns and Will goes on the defensive again and they have that big argument because again Will this fear of rejection comes out and there's a great little um, kind of back and forth between the two which I think will play now uh, which again sums up why Skylar is is so great for him if you don't love me you should just tell me because it's such a love you then why why won't you come what are you so scared of? What am I so scared of? Well, what aren't you scared of? 
You live in the safe little world where no one challenges you and you're scared shitless um, to do anything don't, else. Because don't tell me about my world. Don't tell me about my world. I mean, you just want to have your little fling with, like, the guy from the other side of town. Then you're going to go off to Stanford. You're going to marry some rich prick who your parents will approve of and just sit around with the other trust fund babies and talk about how you went slumming too once. Why are you saying this? What is your obsession with this money? My father died when I was 13 and I inherited this money. You don't think every day I wake up and I wish that I could give it back. That I would give it back in a second if it meant I could have one more day with him. But I can't. And that's my life and I deal with it. So don't put your shit on me when you're the one that's afraid. I'm afraid. What, what, what am I afraid of? What the fuck am I afraid of? You're afraid of? of me. You're afraid that I won't love you back. You know what? I'm afraid too. Fuck it. I want to give it a shot. And at least I'm honest with you. I'm not honest with you. No, what about your 12 brothers? No, you're not going. You're not leaving. What do you want to know? What? That I don't have 12 brothers? Yeah. That I'm a fucking orphan? Yeah. No, you don't want to hear I that. I didn't know no, that. No, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that I got it. fucking cigarettes put out of me when I was a little kid. No, I didn't know that. this that. isn't fucking surgery, that the motherfucker stabbed me. You don't want to hear that shit, Skylar. I don't, do want to hear Don't tell me you want to hear that I shit. I want to hear it because I want to help you because I want help to be with you. What do I got? A fucking sign on my back that says save me? No. Do I look like I need that? No, God, I just want to be with Don't you because I love you. Don't bullshit me. Don't you fucking bullshit me. I love you. I want to hear you say that you don't love me. Because if you say that, then I won't call you. And I won't be in your life. So yeah, I mean, where what we see there is like a classic disorganized attachment style. Disorganized adults tend to have negative views of both themselves and others. And I, th I think in that scene, he actually goes on the offensive with her and, and suggests that money has something to do with their relationship. What will your parents think of me? You know, trying to find all the holes and again, it's examples of, of more of these stories that Will's trying to create for himself. With them, these type of attachment problems, like simply avoiding proximity will never heal the trauma um, or the painful experiences. So in order to build secure relationships, you need to learn to trust people first. And again, it's a, a slow process, but there's there's some key scenes with um, him and Skylar that really help to create that that um, that foundation of trust. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and I think we see gradually as their relationship develops, we see the trust that he starts to have in her because eventually he does introduce her to his friends. And obviously this all happens before the argument scene that we've just heard. But there's the scene where, because obviously up to this point, he's kind of seen them, seen her on his own away from his, away from his real life, if you like. But then he introduces her to his, his friends. Obviously she's already seen Chucky because he's the one who tries to chat up at the bar, but he then <clears throat> brings her along to go for a drink with his, with his friends. And they're kind of all telling jokes and stories. And you can see that she kind of, is, she accepts them and they accept her. And you can see that Will that makes him feel comfortable because obviously, as we said earlier, his, his group of friends, that's his, that's his core group. That's his family. That's his brothers. That's his closest and his most trusted um, kind of unit. 
and she's accepted into that and she accepts that despite the fact that he sees himself as this flawed negative character because of his upbringing because again during the argument he says you don't want to hear that i'm an orphan you don't want to hear that they put he, i had cigarettes put out on me all this stuff that he sees as a negative thing and reasons that he throws walls up around himself he, you know outwardly to protect other people from him but ultimately it's to protect himself from other people and i think when he sees how his friends accept her and how she accepts them despite the fact that she comes from money she's at the pre- prestigious medical school she's she comes from a different world to Will, but and they come from a different world to her that could easily be judged by her. But she doesn't judge it. She accepts it and embraces it. And I think that's when you start to see his kind of walls come down a little bit. And you can see that that's when that trust starts to build. And I think that's, you can relate that to real life. You know, any time you meet someone new, whether it be a friend or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whoever it is, meeting your friends, your nearest and dearest is a really important process. And I think that tells you so much about that person and how well suited together you are and how how much they might mean to you because i think one because to come back to the lesson again this whole thing about surrounding yourself with the right people um i think it doesn't matter who you are how experienced you are how intelligent you are whatever your upbringing might have been i i'm a firm believer that the people in your life make you who you are or have a big impact on who you are because they they help you make decisions that are good for you they help they help they help shape you into the person you become and i think one of the one really important step as you know thinking about a relationship and on top of a friendship i always think um when boyfriends and girlfriends meet their other half's friends i think that's of that a lot of the time is ultimately when people know whether it's right and again to go back to and i talk about this a lot on loads of episodes but to go back to my relationship with beck i remember the first time she met all my closest friends. It was so clear, so clear that there was something special there. Because I remember the first time um, that she met my oldest friend, Adam, we, we, the three of us just went out for a drink together and we, we sat down and I went, I went to the bar to go, to go grab a drink, came back and they were just chatting away. There was no awkwardness. There was nothing. And they'd literally just met for the first time. And it was the same when, when you met Beck for the first time you were instantly kind of connected and just had a conversation and I could tell straight away because you know you and Adam and my oldest friends you're my people you're the people I trust most in the world and she straight away you kind of you kind of she just became one of you and and I think that relationship with anyone and, and you know with Skylar and Will with whoever it might be when you introduce someone into your inner circle and they're accepted so clearly and so quickly that is a that's a big that's a big tick that you've that you've made you know that that person is there's something right about that person for you yeah and and it comes back to this thing of you you know you being the average of your seven closest friends it's like if you're introducing um someone that you really care for um in in like a, a lover or a girlfriend to your um i guess like core friend friendship groups like there's no way of hiding who you truly are <laughs> like um you know yeah. <laughs> and and will has to do that he you know he's clearly not this like preppy um intellect he's the type of guy who hangs out at dirty bars and tells dirty jokes and yeah, there's a great scene where um um obviously chuck is telling this this um story and um 
like his friends are like arguing you know it's a bad story and like you know and then she tells like uh, an even worse kind of joke and story <laughs> and um yeah the the relief probably on all of their um their faces are quite, quite apparent um just back to me m- meeting beck for the first time yes there was a respect for her but there was a um there was an undercurrent of rivalry that will never go away <laughs> <laughs> for your affections <laughs> she knows it she can smell it <laughs> whenever you leave the room <laughs> yeah it's true it's true I like we had a little uh, messages back and forth the other day didn't we I said uh, you know you're, she, she's furious that this is taking up so much of my time <laughs> because <laughs> i'm spending more i'm spending more time talking to talking to you uh of course we we kid we kid because i remember actually when you when you came to stay with us once i think i'd i forget where i, I don't know whether i was where i'd been at work or something or i'd been somewhere and you guys took a load of pictures of yourself uh doing stuff like reading books and playing guitar drinking wine because you wanted to shut you actually you wanted to um send the photos to to her best friend to say you like muscled in yeah yeah, yeah yeah absolutely but the thing is like stupid stuff like that it, it it's really important because I think, you know, to come back to the, the whole thing with that scene with Skylar and Chucky and stuff, sense of humour is a really important, I think is a really important signifier. Humour throughout the whole film. And because like there's so many characters um, in this film that just don't get it. You know, can you imagine Will and the first therapist that he meets, like having a joke together? I mean, he's clearly in that first therapy session. Will's kind of going after him and like kind of making fun of his book and stuff like that. But the therapist is into himself or so unaware that his his book could possibly be joked at that he's taking it as compliments. So so yeah, like humor being on the same page um, with someone on this level, it, it brings people together, doesn't it? It doesn't matter what class you're from or what academia you're from so ricky gervais references this in one of his stand-ups he talks about humor is almost like a measuring stick to see if we're the same kind of people it's like when you meet someone new for the first time it's like the first one to get a joke in and to see how the other one responds and i think humor is often how we um almost relate ourselves to other people like if you if you know someone's got the same sense of humor as you and you can go a bit darker or you can do this or you can go a bit more whimsical or a bit more weird, whatever it might be. If someone responds to that, you kind of know you're on the same wavelength. And I think you're right to go back to the sort of the Chucky and Skylar, the fact that they're telling these stories. And obviously Chucky's story about his uncle being drunk and accidentally stealing a cop car, that's probably quite a clean story for them. <laughs> but then Skylar comes out with this with this joke about these this two old couple and, and, uh, and the blowjob thing. And and that's actually and again you know the fact that in front of all of all of his friends that she's met for the first time she comes out with this really kind of like dirty joke that tells them you know we're, she's okay you know we can be ourselves with her because this kind of like the whether it be like gallows humor or like kind of a black sense of humor you know that's the sort of stuff when you realize someone's on the same level as you it kind of opens up a slight new level of trust and you can really kind of you know you, you know that that person is is kind of on the same wavelength as you so I think it's yeah you're right there is. And obviously, like I said earlier, when Will finally um, breaks down and, and talks with Sean, it's a joke. The first thing he says is a joke. So I think humour is really important in the film, but also, like I said, in real life. If most people think about their closest friends, the people they trust the most, probably the thing that stands out ahead of your relationship with other people is that sense of humour. Certainly is for me anyway. I think the people I, I regard as my closest friends, you all make me laugh so much. 
you're, I, I, you know, whenever, whenever we talk, it, there's, there's lots of jokes and silliness, and we always make each other laugh. And I think that's how I, and you, you just don't have that with people you're not as close with. So I think that's a really important element of, um, of relationships between Will and Skylar, Will and Sean, Will and Chucky and his closest friends. But also, I think in, in real life, we all kind of use humour as a way to, to kind of let people into our little worlds. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a, a form of social currency that's kind of exchanged in a way because in order for you to be vulnerable and put yourself out there to make the joke, you've got to really understand that person or um, get a sense that, like, this is okay to say. I mean, her joke is... Um, it's pretty out there <laughs> um but but she put herself out there and did it, and she was accepted by by will's friends well you do don't you you test the waters don't you when you meet someone new or you know you start telling jokes you, you start you start very soft don't you but then you kind of you push the boundaries slight like gradually more each time to see how far you can go we, we've gone pretty dark of... we, we've been to some dark places ain't nick yeah we have but that's how we you know and you you've probably been to those same places with some of your other closest friends and it's it's how how you kind of like see how far you can go how much can I trust this person to accept me for who I am for what my sense of humor is and that kind of stuff and it's you know it's a very easy way to tell you know how or to kind of like demonstrate how how much of yourself you can be with those people yeah and and it's something that um Sean says, he says, we get to choose who we let into our weird little worlds. And in a way, like a joke is is letting that person into our weird little little world. Um, you know, it's, it's a suggestion that the, the imperfections about us are the very things that are worth getting to know and savoring about a person. So, um, yeah. Um, so tell me about Chucky. Well, I think, yeah, I think so. We've talked about Sean and we talked about Skylar. And I think the one other really important character we've got to talk about is Chucky, because obviously we've talked about with Sean, Will develops as kind of like father son, father son, but also friendship relationship. Skylar's obviously a romantic interest, and he's the, she's the one that he eventually ends up going after, driving across the country to go and meet up with, because he realizes that she is that she's so important to him. But the other guy, the other consistent in his life is Chucky. Uh, played by Ben Affleck and obviously you talked earlier about the consistency in like a a relationship with a therapist you know same time same place there's a real consistency to his relationship with Chucky and I think that that comes through in a really great scene on the building site when he talks when they're talking about Will's future and um, and there's a there's a point where Chucky says the best part of my day is when it's just after I pull up at your house to pick you up every morning um, and that that consistency there, because several times throughout the film, right at the start of the film, all the way through, we see this consistency where Chucky pulls up in his car in the morning to pick Will up with a cup of coffee, and then they go off to go to work or whatever they're doing. So the real consistency were there, but also obviously Chucky has been his 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 best friend. They've grown up together, you know. They're kind of like they're like brothers. Um, and like I said, you know, Chucky comes from the same background as Will, but he doesn't have what Will has in terms of his gift. Um, and I think there's a re- I just referenced it. There's a really great um, scene at a building site, which we'll just play a clip from that, which I think sums up Chucky's importance to Will and his importance to Will's journey. Because um, I think it's it's a really brilliantly written scene, superbly delivered by Ben Affleck, and I think it's really really effective. So we'll just play a little clip. Here. Look, you're my best friend, so don't take this the wrong way. In 20 years, if you're still living here. Coming over my house to watch the Patriots game, still working construction, I'll fucking kill you. That's not a threat. What? That's a fact. I'll fucking kill you. What the fuck are you talking about? 
look. You got something none of us have. Oh, come on. Why, why is it always this? I mean, I fucking owe it to myself to do this or that. What if I don't no, want to? No, 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 no. Fuck you. You don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to me. Because tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'll be 50. And I'll still be doing this shit. That's all right. That's fine. I mean, you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket. You're too much of a pussy to cash it in. And that's bullshit. Because I'd do fucking anything to have what you got. So would any of these fucking guys. It'd be an insult to us if you're still here in 20 years. Hanging around here is a fucking waste of your time. You don't know that. I don't? No, you don't know that. No, I don't know that. Let me tell you what I do now. Every day I come by your house and I pick you up. And we go out, we have a few drinks and a few laughs and it's great. You know what the best part of my day is? for about 10 seconds from when I pull up to the curb when I get to your door. Because I think maybe I'll get up there and I'll knock on the door and you won't be there. No goodbye, no see you later, no nothing. I'm just left. I don't know much, but I know that. Yeah, so in that scene, um, obviously we're hearing Chucky say to Will, like, it's almost like a, you know, <laughs> the funny little thing. Have you seen the series New Girl? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a thing in that where one of the characters, Schmidt, refers to white fanging someone. <laughs> like, so from the, from the book White Fang, where, like, you know, you, you kind of, if you love someone, you've got to let them go. And, um, and I'm also, also like, Chucky is kind of doing that to Will here because he's saying to him, you know, he says to him, if you're still here in 20 years, I'll kill you. Because he knows that Will is meant for more than this. He says, you know, he, he'll he'll be working on that building site for the rest of his life. And that's fine because he knows that's kind of, that's the most he can expect from himself because he doesn't have this gift that Will has. We know Chucky's a great guy. He's his best friend. He'd go to the ends of the earth for him. He'd do anything he asked for because he's that loyal. He's a great guy, but he hasn't got what Will has. So he's almost in part pushing Will away to say, you need to go and make the most of what you've got. And I, I love the fact that he sort of refers to the fact that you owe these guys, you owe the rest of us. Um, because we would do anything to have what you've got. But we really know that he's only saying that because he just wants the best for his friend. And he kind of, he he knows that if Will stays in Southie, working on the buildings for the rest of his life, he'll be happy. He'll have a great time. They'll go out, they'll have a few drinks, have a few laughs. But he knows that Will is meant for more than that. And I think that is a really special thing that Chucky demonstrates that the importance of our best friends, because sometimes our best friends know what's best for us even if we don't and even if it means a separation of people you, you, you know you're going to move away you're going to do something different you're not going to see them as much they know that those things are you know they, they know when those things are right for you so I think there's a really that that scene for me perfectly sums up not only Chucky and Will's relationship but the relationship between two best friends and the kind of the respect and the love they have for each other because they he just wants he just wants what's best for Will despite the fact that he probably knows that means losing his best friend out of his everyday life. He's not going to see him every day. They're not going to be going out for a drink and having a laugh every evening. They'll, they'll always be friends. They'll always be brothers. But he knows that if Will does go and pursue, you know, whether it be something academia, whether it be Skylar, whether, whatever it might be, he knows that means for him, he knows it means losing Will potentially. But he knows that's what's best for Will. And that's the value of sort of our, our best friends, I think. And that, that scene just really sums it up perfectly for me. Yeah, and, and that's the, the ultimate thing, isn't it? It's, it's sacrifice because Chucky and Will are best friends. It's so 
you see this so often uh, and to a certain extent i feel like there's a, like an overlap with our american history x podcast where we were talking about these kind of echo chambers like even your own your your friendship group your most immediate friendship group is is a sort of echo chamber where you have these egos that are trying to kind of protect each other and therefore you pick people who will think a certain way and and act a certain way and will do certain things altogether it takes a very strong friend a strong person to say hey this isn't the way for you we want something more for you so you need to go and hang out with people who are not us and that's real love i think like to 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 risk losing someone and for the betterment of that person that's uh that's real love it's man love like this it is yeah would that's you real would you white fat would you white family absolutely and you know i i kind of already have in a way because you live around the other side of the world and that makes me sad but i know that it's i know that you love it so you know i miss you i miss you too <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah. on that note and considering the time um that we're on shall we wrap this up and maybe tee up the next episode yeah, so I hope hopefully um, all the stuff we've we've spoken about makes sense. And like I said, I just want to reiterate that that this just says to me, surrounding yourself or having those important people in your life with that you know that have that understand you that you can trust, it's so important. And I think hopefully um, I have made good decisions with my life based on the people that I trust, you know, giving me the support and everything like that. But yeah, so I think. Um, yeah, we'll wrap that up there because I think it's been, it's been a really interesting conversation and I think it's been quite different to the others because we've very, really, really focused on specific elements of the film, you know, the characters in the film. It's been really interesting. Um, so, yeah, we'll move on to the next um, episode that we're going to do. And I'm really excited about this one because this was one of your choices that kind of came out of nowhere and there's so much to talk about. So why don't you introduce us to the film we're going to choose and what we're going to talk about? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about the, the film The Matrix. Um, which is um, just a small film. Um, in, in terms you, of, you may have heard of it. Yeah, you might have heard of it. So yeah, it's one of these films that kind of came along, and at the time it was just this huge deal. Um, you know, people were walking around in uh, in leather leather coats. I remember actually. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. There was this one guy who was in our um, media studies film studies class, and he would come in wearing a kind of leather leather. Um, a long leather coat, um, maybe paying an homage to the Matrix. <laughs> I, I wonder if he also had like a little pair of um, the little sunglasses that clip onto the bridge of your nose, like Morpheus, yeah. and had the old like little. Um, you remember there was a big thing with the Nokia phones where you press I do. the button, my and friend the had one. slides off. Yeah, I, I bet he had all those. I bet he had all those as well. <laughs> I, I used to ask my friend. I said, um, "Can I can I use your phone?" He's like, <laughs> <laughs> "Just do wanting to do the flick thing um, again." <laughs> Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about it in in well, the lesson's going to be essentially how the Matrix teaches us that we are all the one, and there's going to be a few lessons within that. It's it's going to be a huge episode. It's going to be a really difficult episode because there's so much content in there, and, and it's so quotable. So um, if it's probably going to be about two hours long with about one hour of quotes, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I love I love a good quote. 
um, yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, you're right. This it probably is going to be quite a long episode, lots to talk about. But um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too, Nick. So um, yeah, we'll we'll see you next time on the podcast. We will. So as usual, uh, thank you for listening. Um, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And uh, thank you for joining us. And we will see you next time. See you guys. Bye.